0: I think it's clear that god gave us an imagination and and god himself had an imagination everything you just spin around in a circle everything you see in the world is based out of god's imagination Like in the beginning all god had was his imagination and mm-hmm. then he spoke he spoke his imagination into being and anything that might be evil or twisted
1: is just a twisted version of that reality Hey everyone, welcome to that Jesus podcast. We are a day late and a dollar or two short, probably. Uh, especially Christopher, you were out sick, right? Yeah, it was a couple dollars. <laughs> I, I'm glad you're here, though. You sound a little bit Donald Duckish, but hopefully people yeah. can understand <laughs> you. What <are> you doing? <laughs> Please don't do that. That whole a episode. terrible impression. <laughs> And with me, so that's Mr. Christopher Whitmer, and with me also is Mr. Patrick Schrock. Do you have an impression you can do for us?
2: I have zero impressions to do, but uh, I'll try to maintain on subject, though, and stay focused. I'm excited.
1: There's more where uh, where that came from, from? (laughs) Precious. (laughs) Very good. Yeah, well, um, we're going to talk about something interesting, since uh, Titus is off doing... Other things that he decided weren't as important as maintaining the podcast, a code. yes, we decided to come on and talk movies and entertainment tonight today this morning, wherever you do this. Someday, I'll get over time stamping these these episodes, <laughs> but anyhow, so I'm really glad we have such a diverse group of of gentlemen here, three white guys, all from Minnesota, Wisconsin, deep ties to mennonites um <laughs> so I'm just glad that we're really representing the the upper Midwest. You know, Don't you know, millennials. <laughs> but actually, I, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. And just thought it might be neat to have you guys share your stories about entertainment and kind of where you came into um, movies and TV and stuff. I think I think probably most of our audience will find themselves somewhere along the spectrum of where the three of us represent. So go ahead, Patrick, tell us about your journey into Hollywood.
2: Yeah, this is the strangest take on telling my testimony I've had, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Your movie testimony.
2: Yeah. Our family wasn't big movie buffs and everything was generally sheltered. We watched the classics like Sound of Music and Narnia together, and those are cool. I enjoyed those. Hang movies. on a
1: minute. Classics like Narnia. I grew up with the BBC classics. <laughs> <laughs> like the BBC Narnia?
2: Ah. That's even the generation before Disney did it.
1: Yeah, I was married when the... they came out with it. The...
2: So I enjoyed those, but I always did feel like there were some of my friends and like I just got a general idea. There's a lot of movies at Walmart, theaters that we never went to, and it those things always held just a little bit of mystery to me and intrigue. And then as I became a teenager and got more independence, I... I was watching more of those things on my own and with friends and stuff and in some ways found out they weren't as awful as I had maybe thought in my mind or Mm -hmm. they were projected to be by some people.
1: Was that disappointing?
2: (laughs) It was a little disconcerting. (laughs) Or like it um, made me think, wow, so maybe a lot of other things were exaggerated and the world isn't such a bad place after all.
1: Now, did you have, yeah. in the church you grew up in, which is conservative Mennonite, mm-hmm. did you have rules against watching movies that you were violating?
2: The, the way it's worded in our church constitution is movies are to be chosen and viewed as a family, I believe. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. In practice, that's not stuck to that rigidly. Um, okay. For the most part, people just kind of follow their own personal convictions of what they view good entertainment as. I believe there's some families in our church that wouldn't watch hardly any.
1: Yeah. And regardless, the statute of limitations has run out. So please continue to share freely (laughs) about what what you've watched.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then I would say in the last three years or so, I've become more mature, um, trying to enjoy good stories and not put too many evil things before my mind. Yeah. And that's what I'm excited about talking about, I'd say.
1: So are you, like, just give me a baseline here. Do you watch a, a movie a week? Do you go to movie theaters? Do you mm-hmm. have a Netflix subscription?
2: Do not have a, any streaming service. Besides Prime, what's included there. Do not go to theaters. Maybe once a week I'll watch some of a show or a movie. I stay away from most things. Are, pretty much all things are rated. The last year or so I've really come to enjoy watching movie with friends. Like if it's a group of friends who enjoy talking about the movie and I've come to enjoy before I would be a little bit cynical as, oh, you're just all tuning out and absorbing yourself in something instead of engaging in conversation or something. If you watch a movie with a group of friends, but I've actually come to enjoy it a lot more the last couple of years, just as an avenue to start conversation. And there's something special about sharing the experience with others, I think.
1: Nice. And Christopher, what what about you? And our listeners can't see this, but you're wearing a, a Mickey Mouse t-shirt or a hoodie tonight.
0: Yes, is my favorite hoodie for multiple reasons. So I would have come from a slightly less conservative background as Patrick. Um, we didn't like our our like family standards loosened as we grew up. Um. Which is probably fairly common, Um, but we definitely had a deep appreciation for family movie night, watching movies. Um, I mean, I I remember watching some Disney stuff for sure, Um, but like things like Sound of Music, some classics, um, like that. We also took care of elderly people in our home, Mm -hmm. so like there was. Like open access to TV, and they had some some of their favorite movies that they like to watch, and so that we would put that on for them and stuff. So I definitely had probably more exposure than I, I'm gonna guess the typical Mennonite kid, but but yeah. Then then as I grew up, um, I developed I think uh, just a continual appreciation. I think primarily for stories. Um, but there's something about the movie experience when like we didn't really go to theaters very much, um, until I was of age and started going to theaters. And I, I really enjoy that experience even by myself. Like I'll go, um, like I just watched the Batman a couple days ago, um, and really enjoyed that. And I, I don't know, it's a way, it's a way for me to decompress, I guess, um, Mm -hmm but i but i also enjoy it i love going to movies with friends or like watching a movie with friends or with my fiance and i've often referred to watching movies as my love language i've told people i'm like i think watching movies is my love language hmm. um kind of in jest but it, i i just i love sharing that experience introducing someone to a genre of movies particularly like i have kind of a it's not a very sophisticated love, but it's a love for <laughs> Marvel and and I mean, obviously at this point, most people are familiar with Marvel. At like, if some most level. moviegoers are familiar with Mar- Marvel at mm-hmm. some level, but um, but I've introduced a number of my friends to the world of Marvel, and, and that brings me a lot of pleasure. <laughs>
1: nice it's quite the investment if you're going to introduce someone to that because they have yeah uh what hundreds of hours of content now yeah they do something like that
0: pretty insane I, yeah
1: and and then for me um grew up with mom and dad both very into um theater uh like like actual theater like hollywood not hollywood mm-hmm. like um broadway broadway thank you <laughs> broadway um and new york re- musicals and and just my dad especially was a was a science fiction and fantasy geek and my mom followed along in that too um and and so grew up with a lot of that but earlier on they were fairly um conscientious with us about what we watched and um sometimes their like what they were okay with and weren't okay with was kind of weird for me as like my, my early teens and watching it and what would be oh, this is bad because of a bad attitude, but this is okay, even though there was like a lot of indecency in it. (laughs) Um, And and that kind of confused me, but I think they did have a rhyme and reason for what they thought. And we kind of shifted from pretty open-minded. I remember going to the theater to see Little Mermaid for my sister's birthday. Went from kind of that to basically no movies for 20 years, Um, you know, from the ages of about 10 to when I was... You know, on the verge of adulthood. I do remember going to see the greatest Star Wars movie ever made in the movie theater when I was like 14, uh, The Phantom Menace. And <laughs> and and I only say it's the greatest movie, Star Wars movie to trigger people. But it was pretty special <laughs> because it was the first Star Wars movie I'd ever, actually ever, ever seen, period. And it was the first yeah. movie I'd seen in a theater in probably 10 years. So anyhow. Um, and then kind of coming from that to a church that was pretty conservative about movies. And so it was sort of a don't ask, don't tell policy. If you watch a movie that's not, you know, you know, that's not created by focusing on the family or, you know, feature films for families or something, then you better, or Moody, then you'd better, you know, kind of keep it on the down low. And I think there's, and we'll talk some about this. I think there's been a really profound shift, even in how we consume movies and television because it's all available to everywhere everyone, everywhere all the time, and so it's not like you can pick and I mean you can pick and choose, but you can pick and choose from absolutely everything so with all that said, um I feel like a lot of our audience has an idea of what the objections to movies and television would be. so maybe we could just kind of talk through some of those, and not that we have the final word, but kind of how we wrestle with these the The first objection I hear a lot of times, is obviously the content. So you have content that's violent, you have nudity, you have sex scenes, you have um, the, the um, worldly worldviews and you know, shoving in leftist propaganda down our throats. A big one for my mom and dad growing up was, well, the movie's okay, but he has a bad attitude, and we don't want you guys to copy you know, copy the you know, little Kevin and Home Alone's bad attitude. What do you guys do to wrestle with the content?
0: I think one thing that I think about, just with your example right there, Drew. If so, so like let's say a kid or a, a character in a movie has a bad attitude. If if we're like just interested in our kids never seeing anything evil, that might be a great approach. But if we want to teach them to discern truth and discern, okay, should I follow this behavior or should I not? Um, there's a certain amount of exposure that they need to have to people who think differently to people who act differently to characters who are bad examples. And, Mm -hmm. and, and there's multiple avenues that you could learn from a story. Now, obviously you don't just parade your kids in front of evil just because you, you think that maybe, you know, there, there's a lesson to learn, but that like stories give us an opportunity to say like, you know do you agree with this like to, to give them and give them tools to learn how to discern for themselves is this something i want to follow maybe the character actually ends up facing consequences for his bad attitude or maybe maybe you just say hey you know the the lord you know blesses the good the just and the unjust <laughs> like like just because he, he got his way like ask yourself is that you know and maybe you could go to scripture or maybe you could whatever there's mm-hmm. several avenues you could say just because it turned out well for this character doesn't mean it's right and just because in real life you see someone acting a certain way and it's working out well for them doesn't mean that it's a good way to act or that it's a righteous way to act mm-hmm. and having movies gives us an opportunity whereas if we just say oh anytime there's a bad attitude displayed then we don't want to like, I, th- I think we should help our kids walk through that and give them tools and, and mm-hmm. exercise that muscle.
1: So, so you jumped right away to thinking about children. And I, I mentioned my own childhood right. thinking about that and and I get that, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm the only dad here. I think a lot of our listeners are parents, but a lot of them aren't probably the majority of them aren't. Yeah. So thinking about a, uh, a, uh, person who's primarily thinking about their own media consumption. Because I'll, I'll say this too, often a parent like me will have one standard for what they want their children to get, and then kind of like a, you know, who really cares, be wishy-washy about what I'm watching. And I'll just go on record and say that doesn't work very well. <laughs> Let's pull back and think, what do we do with the content issues yeah. as adults, as followers of Jesus, for ourselves? Patrick, you said you don't watch movies that have that are rated R unless Mel Gibson directs them. Um, <laughs> exactly. The anti-Semitism just kind of makes it all okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I know which movie you're talking about, but I haven't ever watched it myself. Me neither. Yeah. And, and I should clarify, I have watched a few in the past, but as for myself right now, I'd say on principle, I don't. And mainly mm-hmm. for just the perverted attitude I see a lot of American movies made having towards including sex scenes that aren't necessarily important to the plot, I, I view them...
1: Gratuitous.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I understand it's a very important part of the human experience and obviously of stories, too. For me, I do not find them helpful, so I generally do try to avoid them. And I recognize the difference... Between containing certain elements and glorifying them, I don't want to be too judgmental about those that can enjoy those things without it being something that confuses their imagination or expectation. But for myself, I find there's plenty of stories to be enjoyed without sifting through that those kinds of things.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. And
2: as far as violence and language, things like that, language doesn't bother me a whole lot. I think violence Do
1: is... you enjoy foreign language films?
2: <laughs> I do not. Um, I think a problem with the violence contained in a lot of movies is that it glorifies it and assumes there's no consequences for it. Yeah. The hero emerges Someone stronger. Someone say
0: Mel Gibson? <laughs> <laughs>
2: The world is a better place for spewing out violence onto your enemies and those around you. And that's another topic for another time, Time times for interpersonal violence, but for the most of us, I think we somewhat agree that violence brings more harm into the world than it Mm -hmm. solves problems.
1: I think that's a really great way of framing it that that in my mind is a core value of hollywood so often is that you know violence against the bad guy is inherently good and there aren't consequences and christopher you can come in and share how marvel has kind of tweaked that that framing but but significantly most of the action movies that you might think of from the you know 70s 80s 90s you know historically really kind of, you have a good guy that something bad happens to, and he goes and meets out justice on anybody. And and he walks away happy whistling, you know, happy song with a pretty girl.
2: But one thing in here, though, I don't want to apply this as a broad label because I think there are a handful of good movies out there that do investigate the stories of the negative side effects of violence. There is a Mel Mm -hmm. Gibson movie I've heard of. I can't think of it off the top (laughs) of my head. might be Quinn Eastwood where it's an old man who has been a violent soldier and is still wrestling with his demons. A lot of the movies Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of actually are a lot of soldiers wrestling with PTSD.
1: Sure. And
2: I don't want to say that all movies glorify violence. I think there's a handful that might be R-rated that really do wrestle with this problem, is how does violence affect the people who spill it out?
1: Like it's easy for for someone like me to say, you know, I'm not going to watch this movie because of the gratuitous violence or the nudity or the sex. But one of the things that I think we do want to be careful of in content is also unfortunately a boogeyman, and that's the the worldview. The, The the you know this is leftist propaganda or this is anti God worldview, and we have to be careful of it. I I disagree with how that's used as a boogeyman. I was just reading a. Uh, Facebook post somebody shared about a Disney movie that just came out, um, Seeing Red, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, and, and it was all about, you know, well, this is just leftist propaganda. On the other hand, I think so often we ignore the more subversive messages and let them come in without examining them. So for me, my basic response to the objection content you know, what about the content? What about the messages? It's like, yeah, it does matter. The important thing is to have a careful awareness and to be bringing each of my TV experiences, your movie experiences, frankly, to, to God and say, what does this? how does this line up with kingdom? How does this further the kingdom or how doesn't it?
2: And just being honest, I would say, I think yeah. you'd have to be more wary of hedonistic or materialistic propaganda than anything Marxist. Maybe I've been missing it, though. It's a possibility.
1: Yeah. Well, it's such a, like, we can basically pick anything because it's such a, a massive, you know, millions of hours of video that we could pick from. Yeah.
2: Sorry, I second you had a good thought, though, about, maybe could you repeat that, about what are you looking for?
1: Yeah, I think it's just an awareness of, like, how does this fit in with my my basic life goals of serving Jesus and enjoying the good that Jesus has placed me for in this world. But a second, a second you objection give an example
2: of something you see in a movie, something you've seen in a movie that, that lines up with that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but for some reason you put me on this spot, which is a little bit <laughs> ironic because this is a, a, a podcast we've been working toward. <laughs> um, I, I'm just thinking through some of my favorite movies. Um, I really enjoyed the Marvel series. And again, Christopher kind of helped me get started on that universe. Um, is the there an book about
2: going through the Marvel series?
1: <laughs> I'm sure, I'm there, sure is. there is. Oh dear. I, I really enjoyed the, the WandaVision um, mini series yeah. in the way it discussed trauma and how people wrestle yeah. through trauma. And there was violence in it. There was good guy versus bad guy but it was framed in a, it's weird to say, in a realistic way when you have like flying robots attacking, you know, genetically engineered people. But there was a sort certain reality to the human experience that I really appreciated that allowed me to sort of say, well, there is some violence here. There might be some content, but I do fundamentally appreciate the message here and the story here. And there were some things in that series that very much lined up with with kingdom values too, and Chris. And, maybe you had and, an example.
0: Not necessarily. I was. I was just gonna say, like I. Th- I think one quick caveat when we talk about violence, like there's also varying levels of violence. Um, like I, like I remember, you know, a lot talking about Mel Gibson. A lot of Christians when I was young, when that came out in what, like 2003 or whatever. You're talking about a the lot Passion of Christ. Christ the pa- yeah, yeah. Sorry, I jumped ahead without clarifying. The Passion of Christ came out in 2000. 2003-ish and a whole bunch of Christians went to the theater and watched it and it's incredibly violent and Mel Gibson is particularly a violent director he loves gore and he the yeah. camera will like settle on blood and will settle on body parts exploding and stuff in a way that is above and beyond what would be necessary whereas you know violence in something like WandaVision is actually you know just like lasers coming out of somebody's eyes or like, um, you know, a bunch of CGI and very little blood and, and maybe like someone getting knocked to the ground or whatever. Anyways, that's a, that's a caveat, but like there is like varying levels of these things as well.
1: Yeah. And it feels, it feels a little icky to me to get nuanced about, about the varying levels of violence that you're okay with. Patrick, you had mentioned like, I think, Again, I don't want to speak for Christopher, but I think Patrick and I would be like pretty uncomfortable with like nudity or a, an explicit sex scene or really a sex scene in a movie. Um, so that's kind of like a, a certain level baseline in general. Um, Patrick, you talked about how you kind of quit watching a TV series when when the lead couple started fornicating.
2: Yeah, or just as part of the plot, they started living together.
1: Mm-hmm. And that would Which be like is, another... was probably not when the fornicating started. <laughs> Likely not. No. And I don't, I don't have any quick and easy answers for that. It does sound a little troubling to me at times to be that nuanced about it.
2: And it was a little bit of a thing. I, I was a lot younger, and you know this thing where you do view whatever this lead role is as a hero? It mm-hmm. was some white dude who was insanely witty and talented, and I thought he was really cool. And I just was disappointed when my hero... Had this thing that I thought was yeah just very disappointing and immoral
1: yeah
0: I, I hear what you guys are saying i i like when it when it comes to storytelling there you know there there's a certain aspect that I think you have to ask like what is the story for and if you're and if you're just looking for someone who will show you how to live and that's who the hero is in your mind mm-hmm. um Aka the person the story is about, if if, the protagonist. if you're if the protagonist, yeah, if if you're just looking to pattern your life after him, then then yeah, like that's problematic. Like oh, here's this role model in my life, but if you're looking for a story to flesh out concepts and to to you know introduce you know struggle and and personal growth, th- there's a yeah personal growth and like problems and and stuff like there's a there's a certain amount that if you sanitize the story too much then it doesn't even become believable in our, in in our minds like we don't even we, like i think sometimes we as christians can get so focused on oh this person's living with their girlfriend and and we miss the larger point that that the the storyteller is trying to tell um yep. and and yeah some some of those things are definitely gratuitous like it, I, th- I think most people will like even i've even heard secular critics talk about like this you know this scene was unnecessary in the part of the art of storytelling is making every every scene every moment of dialogue every action scene push towards the plot and if there's gratuitous action scenes gratuitous Sex or whatever, all of that just drags the plot down. Um So some of that is just bad
1: storytelling, yeah. um, and, and it's just geared to to keep eyeballs focused. Yeah, but right. but not for the art, not there's for also, the story. There's
0: also yeah. a studio that wants the thing to make money, and if you take <laughs> each other's clothes off, it'll
2: make money.
1: Yeah, it, unfortunately, that it brings helps us... to include
2: just a little bit in the trailer. And and you have a good point that. I eventually did come back to this series, but I had adjusted my expectations that, yeah, I'm not going to this hero for my relationship (laughs) advice and patterns to follow. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Your comments, Christopher kind of lead to one of the next big objections I hear about movies and TV. And that's, it's a big evil industry. You know, if you're, if you're going to support Bambi by watching it on Disney, well, you're also supporting, you know, Game of Thrones or, or whatever, you know, else Disney owns. I don't, I have no idea what that looks like corporately. Yeah. And, and so it's like, well, we need to boycott Disney. We don't want to support the evil industry. And, and some of that extreme, I just don't know if it works with the capitalistic system since, you know, basically everything we eat or look at or wear is basically comes under the umbrella of like 17 companies. But, but a, a more a more legitimate concern about evil industry is that there's something about the act of making these movies act of making these TV shows that is immoral because I'm asking, I'm asking an actor to pretend evil. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, it was kind of passed around for a while. Some again, I didn't watch game of Thrones, but I, you know, it was such a cultural touchstone that everybody talked about it. and You got an idea that it was really, really bad. Um, somebody that some actor was saying that the, the graphic sexual violence, sexually violent scenes hurt her as an individual. And she felt violated acting it out. And there was almost a sense in a real way that people were participating in it by, by watching it and saying that this is the greatest series ever. Um, I don't want to step on. Well, maybe I don't want to step on toes a little bit. I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't watched it and don't plan to, but using that as an example, do you think there's a legitimate point to be made here with with supporting an evil industry?
0: I definitely think there is a point to be made there. Um, that that article actually was a was a pretty. I I don't want to say eye opening because I'm not sure that it opened my eyes so much as like confirmed my suspicions um, and kind of, you know. So so she had done multiple. She had, I think on the show had done probably the most sex scenes or nude, had the the most, at least the most prevalent nudity of any of the actors or actresses. And, um, and just the reality that every... So like regardless of my personal conviction uh, or whether or not I'm going to lust in this scene after this actress, like almost more more than that, like more than a sense of personal holiness in a sense, I became convicted about like the idea of like, what is happening behind the scenes? Like, is this person being coerced? Is, is she being forced to do this? Is she being manipulated to do this? Um, Especially
2: when we look at what's been exposed about how Hollywood can manipulate the women in the industry right. into doing things that are uncomfortable with.
0: Right. And, and like i like i almost I almost feel like Christians can sometimes we can be so obsessed with our our personal holiness um and and i don't like like I think there is a thing for personal holiness, but when when we are when that becomes our aim, so like I'm striving for more holiness in my life you, you're losing like the like there is a purpose behind holiness and that is to love your neighbor. And, and this leads into a broader conversation about lust that I would love to have as well. But like mm-hmm. there's a sense that th- there's a reason I don't lust and that's beyond just my own self. It's beyond just like just the harm that I might do to myself, although that's a real thing. It's mm-hmm. certainly beyond just like oh I did I did a bad thing I got dirt on my hands and now I have to wash myself in order to be accepted before God. Like like there's a reason it's it's a sin and that's because it's harming somebody. Like my my lust, my my it's it's harming the person I'm lusting after, it's harming my wife or future wife, it's harming myself and 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 so there there's a sense of like if if you can convince yourself that you can get through a show and still maintain your personal holiness then then maybe you could get by it. and and I sh- I should say like I've watched Game of Thrones and I've enjoyed Game Game of Thrones um but I think that experience and then reading that article and stuff kind of kind of convicted me that like it's not about my personal holiness is as, as much as it is about like is this person being harmed and when I realized the harm that lust does like that that there's human people behind whether it's pornography or whether it's in like a completely nude scene in Game of Thrones like like there is there are human people behind that like those are hu- yeah. real human beings and that is what is motiv- motivates me not to participate in it not because i'm like scared to get something on on my soul as much as it is like my sin is harming other people um and obviously there's there's a lot of nuance to that too and and i f- i feel like i don't mm-hmm. want to undervalue personal holiness but i feel like sometimes we really focus in on personal holiness and we forget that the reason for holiness is because we're
1: interacting with humans who are made in the image of God and loved by him. I've said it before and and raised some eyebrows, which, you know, I may have had done that somewhat intentionally, but there really is no such thing as personal holiness. Yeah. Yeah. It's a being set apart for a purpose, you know, and again, I go back to King James, you know, vessels meet for the master's use. There's a point to our being set apart. There's a point to our being sanctified. And so many of these objections, whether they initially intended to be that way, it ends up feeling like an end in and of itself. You know, we're going to yeah. stick it to the liberal elites by, by not watching their movies, or we're going to make sure everybody knows that our family doesn't watch this because they, we, want them, we want to be a good testimony. And I'm not even, I'm not even saying it's all bad, but it's just an exercise in missing the point. <laughs> yeah. Do, do yeah. any of you guys have, give credence to this, just the mind blowing amount of resources that go into making movies? Like yeah. Amazon spent $500 million just like before, like season one of the Ring of Power series, the new Tolkien series isn't even released yet. 500 million bucks for the first season and, you know, establishing whatever. Like, does that ever give you pause? You know, 15 bucks for a movie and popcorn?
2: Whatever the market decides is right and just.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Ayn Rand.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, not That was more sarcastic take. This is maybe back to the individualistic thing. I guess I've never... I've heard those numbers and they blow my mind. For me personally, I believe I would just approach it, is this the best use of my $15? It's what I have control over. Mm -hmm. And if I believe my, since it is a voluntary choice, messing with capitalism is iffy. As propaganda (laughs) says, we're in the ocean and we have to swim. Nice. Even if we don't like the salt water. If it genuinely weighs on your conscience where your $15 is going, uh, I think it is the wise thing to hold it back. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess for myself, I it doesn't keep me up what disney is doing with their money i, I try to be cautious with my money though you
0: no know, i think i think that's a like i want to i want to stop and pause and, and validate that perspective though because i th- i think there is a, a a sense in which i probably as someone who has given quite a bit of money to streamers <laughs> and mm-hmm. movie makers I think there is something to be said for like researching the companies and the movie makers and the f- number number one as a movie buff that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I guess I just self describe myself as a movie buff, but but th- there also could be valuable information like you know Disney, HBO, whoever it might be, where the you know, it's the same thing as a bank. Like I've I've been thinking about how like I should probably be more concerned about what my bank is doing with my money. You know, are they, are they, you know, supporting, you know, modern Hmm. day slavery um, through the prison systems or whatever. In, In a sense, like, I think we are responsible to a degree, but at the same time, like there is just this practical aspect that if, if we did that with everything, like we would be spending an incredible amount of time researching every product that we buy and maybe we should like I want to stop and say like maybe we should like maybe we should strip it all down to the bare minimum because like also there's consumerism and materialism and and maybe all of these things whether it's entertainment music baking systems all of those things maybe those are just entirely gratuitous and maybe there are other ways to entertain ourselves and to invest our money in Mm -hmm. whatever it it might be. And so maybe we should be having like a really rigorous conversation about like finding alternative products. Um, There's a little
2: bit of historical precedent with stores in America that would try to sell slave labor-free products back in the pre-Civil War period. Yeah. But yeah, it is really messy, almost unavoidable. Buying something that's unknown or sketchy.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the place where I struggle the most. Like as much as I'd like to be able to buy a pair of shoes that wasn't made in a sweatshop in Bangladesh, it's it's pretty tough, you know, especially when you have children that are going through a pair of shoes every six months or whatever. Um, and, you know, you can you can to come on the podcast and talk to me about being an ethical consumer. Uh, I accept that. But there's a difference in my mind between saying, well... This is really complicated, you know, figuring out where my banking is and figuring out where my um, investments go and figuring out um, where my groceries are coming from. Those are at some level essentials, but we're talking about entertainment here. And that's where I struggle. Like, am I going to be a better person or a worse person for having watched? anything <laughs> and I think I think for me and this yeah. is where we kind of talk about the positives now I think for me I'm a better person for some of what I've watched I also have watched things that I wished I hadn't or spent time on things I wished I hadn't yeah. and that's where that's where I think the conversation kind of settles is we're not talking about a necessary thing we're talking about you know we're not c- talking about food and raiment therewith let us yeah. be content <laughs> so let's talk about why why we do watch movies, why we why we think they are important or valuable.
2: Just one movie off the top of my head when you were it took me a little bit to think of movies that support my worldview and things that encourage me, help me understand. Well,
1: other than anything by the Kendrick brothers, obviously. Obvious. God's well, not we should dead.
2: talk about Christian <laughs> movies too and why we have such a complicated relationship with them. But Uh, One that came to mind was The Peanut Butter Falcon. It honestly is a decent movie in its own right. It's nothing incredible, but just a drifter who makes friends with a guy with Down syndrome. And just the story of their relationship and kind of the the tension of how we treat people with symptoms like Downs. Mm -hmm. And it was just really good because it gave me more compassion and empathy and understanding for that through story and the actor who played the character with Downs had Downs himself. So for me, it was a movie that reinforced Christ-like understanding and compassion through its characters and plot. So that would be to me one positive thing of a mm-hmm. specific time a movie has encouraged me.
1: I think, I think for me to take kind of a step back, even from, from movies and TV itself, what we're talking about is a form of storytelling and i know that's right. that's you know almost sounds you know tautological it's like self-evident but nobody really doubts the absolute essential nature of storytelling at some level like the whole bible is a story the whole jesus used stories all the time i remember getting into a discussion with an older friend years and years ago and he's like i don't even know if we should have novels in our house and, and he was just like, I just, I'm just uncomfortable with fiction because it's basically telling people to believe things that aren't true. And I was like, well, what about, you know, what about Pilgrim's Progress? This is kind of the level I was at. <laughs> and he's like, well, I, I don't know. You know, I guess I should look at that too. Um, and I don't think he'd be there anymore. But if you take a step back, God's prophets used stories all the time that weren't technically true. Jesus used stories that may or may not have been true but they were full of truth. And, and so stories are a powerful ways to communicate and it could be argued that we ourselves are in a story and that's why it resonates with us. And so I like movies and I like TV ultimately because it's a story and it's a very effective story medium for telling stories, Maybe, maybe in some ways the most effective medium, although effective is such a mushy <laughs> term when you're talking about stories. But God is the storyteller we're part of a story. Scripture is full of stories, and even the Book of Revelation, like without getting into that can kind of worms, nobody actually takes the whole Book of Revelation literally. It's a story about about how the world ends, you know. And it's full of symbols. It's full of motifs. It's full of al- allegories. You know, it has a lot of similarities to the is Marvel a book series
0: about the, how the world ends. There's the hot
2: take for the pod.
1: What's
0: that? Revelation is, is basically Revelation. Marvel. Yeah. Is Revel- is
1: revelation a book about how the world ends? I'm I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm I'm questioning you. Yes, that's another great. I think it is, but I think that it's only yeah. <laughs> no, we don't have to. But yeah,
2: good point on story though. I, I totally agree. I I think we've all experienced the truth found in story as something that that helps us grow and draw us closer to Christ.
1: Hmm. I so
0: I've, no, I. No, I was just gonna say that I find the it's not a true story you're you're teaching yourself to believe lies people to be really difficult to know how to engage because like there's just like a like our starting points are just too entirely like our our perspective of the scriptures our perspective of jesus our perspective of what god is looking for us and our perspective of human imagination are just Mm -hmm. all entirely different and so I don't even know like where to like bridge start bridging that gap because number one I think it's clear that God gave us an imagination and and God himself had an imagination like everything you just spin around in a circle everything you see in the world is based out of God's imagination like in the beginning all God had was his imagination and mm-hmm. then he spoke he spoke his imagination into being and anything that might be evil or twisted is just a twisted
1: version of that reality. Um, anyways, and, and I, I like how you. I like how I, I was going with story as kind of the ultimate way of looking at movie, and you took it one step back and said imagination. I, I think that's. I think that's even better.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I like, like, I. I think that number one, I think story is is by far the most effective way to communicate to if you want someone to understand a concept but tell a bullet really good story no what about bullet point
2: <laughs> what about my fancy apologetics argument
0: yeah um t- tell I them agree a story you, or, or or have them have them live a story um and and yeah I just, and, and and this this idea that we are not capable of discerning whether a story is true or false that we don't understand metaphor and symbolism and allegory and all of these things like mm-hmm. I, like like clearly they haven't taken a literature course or clearly they haven't looked around and seen that no the world is not full of dra- dragons and orcs and elves and and what like they don't under like nobody's going to believe this and and if people are believing that then clearly something else is going on because there are people out there probably who do who are actually
1: delusional and then something else entirely is going on. Yeah. I think I, I do want to put a plug in for for folks who would have that mindset. Some of them are um, probably being tricks a bit but I know people who would hold kind of a perspective let's stay far away from from fiction as we can they're, they're wrestling through with something, and I want to give anybody space to wrestle through, but ultimately we come back to story, we come back to imagination. And, and so one of, the, one of the things I always think about, and I don't know if this particular connection is original with me or not, but it's kind of obvious, when I think about a movie that impacts me and why does it impact me, I always think back to the story of David and Nathan and the story that Nathan told David where he comes in with a made-up story that captures David's imagination. And he's bringing in truth through the side door in a way that David totally didn't expect. And if Nathan had come, on, come down, you know, like a prophet and attacked him, that would have been just, that would have been right. But it was the grace of God, the mercy of God, that allowed Nathan to fire the imagination of David. It was the grace of God that gave Nathan, uh, David, the imagination, to capture truth that he had hardened his conscience to, and we see this pattern in other stories too, and so that's why I find stories to be profoundly valuable, and then by extension, movies, because they have a way of getting at my heart, at my imagination, bringing truth in through the side door when I didn't expect it, and can have a much more profound impact. Yeah.
0: I th- yeah. I think I think sometimes Christians we touched about this a little bit but like Christians can can get really focused on having like a sanitized imagination or a sanitized um storytelling and and the, I think it's a dangerous assumption to go into any story or any movie or any telling of anything whether true or not to to go in there being like, okay, this is a safe, like anything that person says is going to be, mm-hmm. like I can just accept it. um be, Because like, you know, so, so let's say, you know, I don't know what all of our feelings are about the God's Not Dead franchise, but for whatever reason, that stuff. it's it's really popular in Christian circles. And I think, part of the reason is because you know it's got a it's got a christian band newsboys heading it up and so safe for the whole family right and and it's got it it leans into like these cultural narratives that christians have been telling themselves for decades mm-hmm. and um and so it's it, it, it just food. has it. Ha, yeah it's comfort food it's, it has this appearance of like Let's sit down and maybe take our whole family to the theater and support Christian entertainment. And I think it's it's riddled with problems and and it's riddled with with dangerous ideas um, that I would be very uncomfortable embracing as my own. And and this this idea that that we're gonna sit down with anything and and be like, okay, this is good stuff. I can accept this. Is problematic in my mind, and so th- mm-hmm. the, there's a certain. And g- combine that with, I I, I was thinking through today and talking to Kimberly about what to term this
1: because that's his fiancée, wa- folks.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's my fiance. I wanted I wanted to say common grace, but that sounded too Calvinist. <laughs> um,
1: that's okay. Titus but- isn't here. You can be Calvinist. <laughs>
0: But but this idea are you guys familiar with the idea of common grace, like yeah, God Yeah, and it makes like sense with what you're saying. God has given gifts to everybody is basically the way I'm using it. Um yep. and there is and, wisdom and
2: everyone uncovers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um and I, I like, yeah, like I, I think there's a lot of just truth in and freedom in that and realizing like they're they're Everywhere I go, there are things that God has, like, hidden in people's hearts and in their imaginations. And, yeah, like, the, you know, it, they may also have a lot of, of, of bad things, but I'm, like, looking for the little hidden treasures, I guess, yeah. in a sense.
2: And it is a whole nother can of worms to open, but, yeah, Christian movie production doesn't have the greatest track record when you look at things like Left Behind too, right, which was... Uh, heavyweight when Christian culture that's seeking to dominate the world around us, it can make some very skewed art.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you can see, you know, Christians have been at the forefront of making good art for, for centuries and also bad art. Like if you look at, (laughs) if you look at the passion plays and the mythology that developed around scripture, that was just weird and stupid um, in the in the Middle Ages, um, so this is nothing new. <laughs> yeah. um, did you have something to share, Christopher?
0: Uh-uh.
1: let's let's kind of bring it bring it to a head with how we personally wrestle through with our media choices. And this is something we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, but I feel like I have to throw it out there to kind of frame some of the conversation. Probably the honestly the biggest objection in my heart to movies and TV isn't the money. It's not the content, although you know that's a challenge I have to work through it. It's yeah. just how much how easy it is to spend so much time. Yeah, like in the winter months, if we're not careful as a family, we could watch three or four movies a week because um, there's nothing to do in northern <laughs> Northern Wisconsin, <laughs> <laughs> and. I don't know if that's healthy. You know, if you're going to binge a series, yeah. a TV series that used to come out once a week, right? And let's say that series, each episode is 45 minutes long. There are 20 episodes in each in each um, season and there are 10 seasons. Somebody who's not an English teacher, but a math teacher should do the math. But that's like, that's half a lifetime of the time you've binged it.
2: And can we acknowledge kind of, there's this pressure in society right now. You got to keep up on all the series and all the movies that are coming out, yeah. And that's overwhelming and toxic.
1: Yeah. So what are what are some um ways that you practically wrestle through with how much you watch and what you watch and even how you watch it, Christopher? Ooh. Um I
0: I don't do very well at this. <laughs> I'll just be straight up. Um I I go a lot off of my emotions. Um <laughs> But it, but it is not something like it is like I feel like it's in a broader conversation with my phone because most of the shows that I watch are on my phone. And so I've been trying I've been trying to build healthy relation, a healthy relationship with my phone in general. So like not bringing my phone to bed and stuff. You know, I, I work roughly 10 hours a day, four days a week. And so usually my time on my phone and or watching TV shows or movies is either on my lunch break or breakfast break at work or before I go to bed. Because, you know, I get home, I take a shower, I go to the gym, you know, I'm doing things, and then mm-hmm. it's time for bed. It's just it's just generally unhealthy to have your phone within hand's reach of your bed. <laughs> like, just let my phone... Like put my phone to bed every night, you know, <laughs> at like nine o'clock or eight you know, I I actually usually try to go to bed around eight thirty nine. So like eight o'clock. So that like that's a strategy that has really worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um and has sometimes not worked for me be just because I ignore it. I think I think having having community can be helpful. I live in an an intentional community. So like I have, I have people who all very much enjoy movies and TV shows and in the evenings, oftentimes we'll watch something together or somebody, a mixture of us will be watching it together. I don't know. I I I feel like I don't have a lot of practical answers to help with people other than just set boundaries with your technology and do it in community.
1: Yeah. And so, so thinking about the, the means by which you get access to the to the tv and limiting that is helpful for you yeah patrick what about you
2: well what's coming to my mind as christopher was talking and i I hope this doesn't come across as too much of a a jesus juke i I think there's times to yeah just make a a a habit from the outside and because that does form your inner person and soul Mm -hmm. but i think just Leaning into Jesus and the spirit to draw your mind to goodness and beauty, truth, and love will just have a downstream effect towards what's your, what you are drawn to. If you find yourself having a taste for the raunchiest yes. comedy and that, that humor just really connects with you, yeah. I, I think you, you shouldn't just ban the movie. I, I think you should take some soul searching about why is this connecting with me? Why do I feel drawn to it? I think to a certain extent, maybe Titus's mere devotion leaning into spiritual disciplines might be just as effective as coming up with a hard metric.
1: Yeah. Probably even
2: more effective.
1: <laughs> I, I like some of the ideas you guys have shared, um Chris Christopher, like putting your phone to bed, which that term makes me cringe. I like like, you know, tucking in and telling a story, but um but I, I understand what you're saying. That can be really practical. Um, Patrick, I feel like, and you actually mentioned this passage, Philippians 4.8. Um, I don't know why, but I always grew up reading that as kind of a list of things I'm not allowed to think about, which probably shows my own twistedness. Like, oh, I can't watch this because it's not true or honorable or just or pure. I can't listen to this because it's not lovely or commendable. And that totally missed the whole point of the passage. That rather than seeking to empty out all the bad, I'm trying to fill with all the good. Which will invariably push out some of the bad, and if I look around and see in my life a lot of bad, that should be a warning sign. Which you, again, you touched on, Patrick, but I do find Philippians four eight to be really meaningful in saying this is what you should be focusing on. And if I can find, if I can find something pure and lovely and commendable and true and honorable and just in a movie, then go for it. Um, you both touched in passing on the idea of community, doing your entertainment in community. I think that's really powerful. If I'm doing a lot of entertainment on my own, if I'm watching a movie, watching TV on my own, I tend to take that as a warning sign because it's, it's just kind of by myself. It's not connecting. And there's a sort of a built-in accountability to how much are you watching, what are you watching, when you're willing to do it with somebody else, that kind of openness um, I think is really valuable. I really do want to think about the creators behind the movies and the TV and think about what I'm watching, what sort of trauma or what challenges were involved when somebody created this. Uh, Again, we're going to go full, full Calvinist here. John Piper noted he did a big, long take down a... I listened to a while ago about um, Game of Thrones and he, he noted that nudity is not make-believe when somebody murders, unless (laughs) in most cases, unless you don't have the proper safeties on your guns, um, you know, killing somebody violence is, is pretend, right. But nudity is not pretend like that's an actual thing that's happening. And so he just, he just challenged, challenges me to think about that and think about who's, who's behind it. Um, there's a whole nother conversation we could have about how we shepherd each other and disciple each other in what we watch. And then for me as a dad, how I walk with my kids in that process. But I think we'll have to save that for another time. And I'd, I'd love to hear people's thoughts on that question, because I don't want to say we have all the answers. I think maybe this is sort of a opening to a conversation that whether we like it or not, you know, some people will listen to this podcast and be like, "Why did you spend an hour talking about movies? Like, why not focus on your devotion?" But this is the reality that a lot of us are, like, people are watching movies. It's like you said, Patrick, about you know, you're in the water, you have to, you have to swim, right? I think he was talking about capitalism.
0: You know, I th- I think w- if I could just throw in one more thing, Drew, about yeah. like I th- I think there's value to more than just movie buffs too. Do what what you said in researching the filmmakers and not not just in assuming that they're boogeymen and that they're like they have this like Hollywood agenda that you should research and like learn about, but like there are some like real genuine thoughtful people in Hollywood, and most of them are in order to make a living are needing to work with the people who have the money, which is Disney and Mm -hmm. Paramount. And you know, the Disney movies, there's writers and producers and directors and actors who some of them are like genuine Christians. Some of them are people who are seeking to live holy lives in Mm -hmm. Hollywood. And they're maybe not Tim Tebow wearing it on their sleeves, but they're maybe like super subversive and quiet and like just doing the Hollywood grind, because Hollywood is is a very difficult industry. And like, it, I think there's value in knowing them. I think they have, they're interesting people. And I think they have interesting things to say. There's, there's podcasts, and there's interviews. And, mm-hmm. and there's some really thoughtful stuff. Like there's a lot of just junk paparazzi stuff. But like, there's some really thoughtful people who try to like get into actors and directors and producers and writers and everybody. And I th- I think there's value in in that in in discovering the stories like you were talking about of like this was abuse and like because of the me too movement there are now better things in place on set to make sure that there's a yep. third party arbitrating between performers and producers and directors to make sure that you know the the woman this 17 18 20 year old girl has a voice um any, anyways, like like I think just 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 like understanding your entertainment a little bit better is valuable, both both because it's interesting, but also because I think it'll it'll add a depth and a meaning to and an awareness to what you're looking at.
1: I hope a theme that we've taken away, um, movies are stories. They to to paraphrase the old G.K. Chesterton quote, you know, stories exist not to um, tell us that dragons exist, but to tell us that dragons can be defeated that's an important message. They, Movies and stories tell us that there's something beyond ourselves. They can kind of like Nathan express truth in new ways. Um, there are a lot of good reasons, but it is definitely a minefield. <laughs> it's definitely a challenge. You have any last words, Patrick?
2: No, I really like that quote about knowing that dragons can be slain. Yeah. I think that we, we like to have hope and as unrealistic as it is, it's sometimes nice to see a plot sewn up nicely within two hours
1: Mm -hmm. as long as it's not god's not dead (laughs) precisely okay well thank you for tuning in or for sharing guys and um let us know all um all you listening what you think i think we're going to stay on and do just a quick three minutes of popcorn questions for our patreon and we will see you next week Jesus Podcast is part of the Kingdom Outpost
2: Podcast Network. For more articles, podcasts, and other resources, go to kingdomoutpost.org.